everybody has data. We were talking to CDOs uh, in Brisbane and, and uh, they're saying, oh, we've got tons of data, you know, we're data rich. And then we're like, yeah, but what do you do with it? Welcome to the Redefining Sales podcast, where we reimagine and redefine sales in a digital world. In this new series, we have absolutely scoured the world to bring you only the best of the very best. We will be working with each of the thought leaders to unpack all of their years of experience, their pearls of wisdom and nuggets of gold into bite-sized chunks that will enable you to redefine your sales. Welcome to the Redefining Sales Podcast. My name is Abby White. This week on our podcast, we have Rohan Prasad, who is Director of Channels and Alliances for SciSense. Now, luckily, I did have a voice at the time of recording. I have now lost my voice for this intro. But in the recording, you are going to hear from Rohan about how he plays a high-performance game, what it takes to be a high-performance seller in the IT industry. And you're going to hear quite a lot about strong partnerships. Rohan's experience is very much in the channel ecosystem alliances space. So we talk quite a bit there about partnerships. We also tap into um, best career advice Rohan's ever heard, and then how you can leverage AI and business intelligence for your growth opportunity. So we cover quite a lot of ground and quite a few different angles in this conversation. Now, if you have not met Rohan before, Rohan has over 20 years experience developing successful partner ecosystems and driving sustainable clients business growth across Australia and Asia Pacific. And as I mentioned, his current role is Director of Channels and Alliances at SciSense. And if you have not come across SciSense, a little bit about them. They go beyond traditional business intelligence by providing organizations with the ability to infuse analytics everywhere, embed in both the customer and employee applications and workflows. And SciSense customers are breaking through the barriers of analytics adoption by going beyond the dashboard. And they look at how they can have highly customizable AI-driven analytics cloud platform that infuses intelligence at the right place at the right time every time. They've worked with over 2,000 global companies. And so we actually tap into that in this conversation around how business intelligence can be used and that data can be used to help drive growth. So we probably go down a slightly more technical conversation than we do usually. Um, But for many of our audience who are in the IT arena, this probably is a fantastic one for you to get your teeth stuck into. So enjoy. Welcome to the Redefining Sales Podcast. Rohan, welcome. We are very, very, very excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. We've already started chatting off air about lots of things so i just i'm gonna get straight stuck in because i have so many questions um that i want to be talking to you about today great stuff i want to kick start out by just talking about we're sort of into the new financial year at the time of recording i know a lot of people i've just walked out of a meeting myself where people are putting together their strategy for the year ahead um, I kind of want to get your lens on what opportunities you're seeing for growth and sort of kickstart there as people are in strategy mode at this time of year. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, we've had a tough couple of years, right? So we've had COVID. People forget we've had bushfires and floods. Uh, we've had mice plagues, I think. There's mice plagues in part of the country. 
Um, we've had trade issues with, with some of our big partners. We're going into recession. And, you know, and these are really turbulent times. And yet some organizations have, have really done well and, and, and are thriving. And some organizations aren't. And, and so there's a lot of organizations, companies starting to question, okay, well, how do we really take advantage of what's going on? Or at least what are the lessons learned? And these are really going to drive the opportunities that we see in the marketplace. And the first one, when we ask our clients and customers, it's, you know, all around the accelerated digital transformation. I mean, we've known about this for donkey's ages. We've been talking about it for 20, 30 years, but most companies have been going about it at their own pace, which is, you know, rightfully so, you know, we got the strategy, we understand what we need to do. And then all of a sudden COVID drops on us. Nobody's going into the office anymore. And we're seeing a virtualization of processes and practices and policies and procedures. And it's like, oh my goodness, we've got to accelerate that whole digital transformation uh, story. So it's really about, you know, rethinking how we do things uh, and, and trying to get an advantage of that. And then the second big, again, lesson learned or, or piece of learning is um, these turbulent times have put a lot of pressure on our systems. And it's been a pressure test or a stress test of our existing systems. And technology is supposed to be able to um, enable us or help us and you know, get our tasks done. And we always talk about getting stuff done, right? So technology is supposed to be an enabler. And yet if something like this happens and all of a sudden you're seeing your, your legacy system starting to fail or those new systems you've acquired not matching up, not giving you the ROI that you anticipated. And that's been a big issue, right? So it's really assessing um, the systems that we have today. And are we going to reinvent ourselves on the tail end or are we just going to resume business and just forget about what's happened and hope it doesn't happen again, right? So those are the real big opportunities. And when we have conversations with customers and they say, okay, you know, how does an organization like Zoom, okay, that's an easy one. They did really well, 10,000% increase in the number of subscribers, right? They did well. But then if you look at some other less obvious ones, Coles and Woolies with their online delivery services went through the roof, right? And gaming, everybody's at home just playing games. So they, they did really well, but real um, travel and, you know, airlines, restaurants, that whole business niche and area, they, they really struggled. And it becomes, okay, well, how do we survive? And the answer really is in data. I really do believe that. It's like everybody's data rich, data's cheap to store. So there's data there, but it's really, okay, how do we address that data transformation story? That's number one. And number two is, you know, what systems do we have? And, you know, do we really need to think or rethink what we have in place now? So I've just written that down. I love that you've just said data transformation story. That has just absolutely <laughs> got my attention. Um, we've just been doing a huge amount of research all around the future of sales and, and you would be across a huge amount of this. And what I think is fascinating, you know, you talk about digital transformation. I'm fascinated within that sales transformation journey that the the trend towards data-driven selling, data-driven marketing, um, and the challenge around how do you actually use your data to be meaningful? And you know, you and I play in the same worlds. It's it's a topic of conversation that many people are trying to solve. So, can you talk to us about that? Because because I think that is really 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 fascinating in terms of the data transformation story, and I want to dig into that. Yeah, you know, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. 20 years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago, they were talking about, you know, uh, data-driven decision-making, 
right? And back then it was DSS, Decision Support Software. And I was at a, doing a keynote and the guy behind me got up there and said, oh yeah, you know, data decision software support. I'm like, oh, Jesus, exactly what we talked about 25 years ago. But that's it, you know, it's, the, the question is, how do you take data, turn it into information, information into insight, insight into action. And now the whole story is about action at the point of decision-making, right? So it's even going a little bit further. I can, I can I talk a little bit more about that. I'm gonna come back to the sales aspect, but. When you look at the evolution of, of technology, and you know, I'm, I'm in the BI space, business intelligence, and I've been there for 25, 25 years. And I used to work with guys when I was a you know fresh, you know, bushy-tailed newbie who'd been in the field for 25 years. So it's been around for a long time. But when I joined, it was like the cognoses and the business objects, all these guys, client server technology. You know, you go into big mainframes and you say, okay, fine, here are my cards, and, you know, go you know, generate a report. The report might take a month to get, but then you're so excited because you know you've got some data that's turned into information. You can make some decisions, and that was the best at that time. And then you look a couple of years later when you had the tableaus and clicks and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was all about data virtualization and and uh, visualization, I should say. And it's you know desktop data democratization. Everybody get a dashboard and take a look at their data. And again, sales strategies sort of evolved there. And then you look at today where it's you know emerging technology where people are saying, okay, fine. Lots of organizations are spending incredible sums on, you know, analytics, but the same people, Gartner were saying the same people are spending money aren't getting the, the ROI that they anticipated. And the answer is, well, it's because they're mired down in lack of adoption. You know, people just aren't using the analytics and we'll come back to that. So the sales strategies, you know, I, I think really come back to, um, did I say we go around in circles sometimes we've all been on sales trainings and we've all done all the methodologies but i think it comes down to two things you just have to be um you know you have to be relevant to the organizations that you're going into and you have to so being a, a trusted advisor i think is absolutely critical and you gotta be solving business problems so business problems will change and sort of morph potentially but when you go into an organization or a company you're trying to help them um, and you're, you're playing this trusted advisory role, you're not uncovering business problems. They know what business problems they have. They just might not be able to define them. And I think that's the key strategy now when we're talking about the whole uh, you know, data-driven decision-making is how do you uncover those problems that they might have? And I think, Abby, you know, I, I do a lot of work with new sales reps and they go in and they respond to an RFI or an RFP and it's functions, features, speeds, feeds. This is what they want to answer. And I'm saying just because they asked you these questions doesn't mean you're answering the questions that they have, which is let's move upstream. Let's say it's a, I worked with a logistics company and it was the same thing, you know, what your speeds and feeds and what can you do? And then it's okay, well, why are you asking these questions? Well, if you go to the person's boss who submitted the RFI, it's like, well, we're, we need to change our system. Okay, well, why do you need to change your system? Okay, go up a step, talk to the, you know, the next boss and say, okay, well, we've got problems with our customers. Okay, well, what are the problems? They're not happy. Okay, next boss. Well, you know, what are you trying to do? Well, we're trying to drive market share increase by 2%, but we've got customer retention issues and, you know, it's a cost issue. I want these guys working on something else. And I think that that whole data-driven sales strategy is, don't get stuck down in the weeds. It's always data into information, information into insight, insight into action, action at the point of decision-making. So it's uncovering, not uncovering the problems, it's, it's redefining and being able to define those issues and uh, you know, tying it back to an ROI 
Um, everybody has data. And the last thing, I sort of mentioned this, we were talking to CDOs uh, in Brisbane and, and uh, they're saying, oh, we've got tons of data, you know, we're data rich. And then we're like, yeah, but what do you do with it? Mm. Right. And what are you, what are you doing with it? Well, we're sitting on it because, you know, we've got so much of this, you know, let's go to the CPO. Okay. Now it's your job to do some of this. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do with it? Right. Am I supposed to monetize it? Am I supposed to solve a problem? You know? So it's going in there and having those sorts of conversations about not just what we're seeing today, but you know, future proofing your organization. And as a trusted advisor, you're, you, you're, you're being relevant to that organization. We always look for a champion in, in companies when we're selling. But again, organizations are looking for a champion in the vendors and the partners that they work with as well. So I'm going to come back to that sales rep example because I've got questions on that. But before I do, you talked about, um, you know, actually being able to do something with your data, actually being able to get an ROI. So I do want to tap into SciSense at this point as well and what you're doing there around BI, business intelligence, and obviously how you're leveraging AI and how you're doing that. Because actually when I started reading the SciSense story, that's where I started, I was emailing you this morning, I started getting really excited <laughs> because I think it's really relevant that we all, no one's, no one's problem is I've got a lack of data. Everyone's problem is I've got a, how do I do something with it? And I think that's where it's interesting for sales and marketing now, because it's actually leveraging that data to make it meaningful, be able to use it and, and so on. So I really just want to tap into there what you're seeing um, within business analytics, AI that you offer with SciSense that's helping around these problems that we're talking yeah. about. And, and so when I started 25 years ago on BI, you know, and when I sort of got out 20 years, 20 some years later, I thought I was out and I was free, right? And um, uh, the size sense people came around and they were uh, saying, please come take a look at this. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've moved on. But once I sat down and I explored not only the technology and the business problems that they were, were, were addressing, I was bought in. I mean, this is exactly where I would have hoped, you know, the first generation guys would have got to. By this point, it's absolutely amazing. So, you know, when you look at next generation uh, analytics platforms, of which SciSense is one, the issue I mentioned before about adoption, right? Data literacy is key. I mean, you go to any conference and you hear about data literacy and data adoption. So if, if you have a CEO who's spending lots of money every year, he's going to ask the question, why am I investing in business intelligence and analytics when we're getting very little out of it? And Gartner did a big report and they said, well, 30% of people use analytics with an organization. Not that dashboards are dead, they're the new Excel. Everybody will have dashboards, but you know, it's how do you leverage it? How do you go beyond the dashboard? And this is where a platform like SciSense, so a next generation platform, first of all, has to be able to connect to everything and anything. So you're talking about your relational databases, your CRMs, your ERPs, Excel spreadsheets. It's gotta be really fleet with connectors, using API connectors, born on the cloud, but also offering on-premise sort of capabilities. And then you've got to be able to offer either the capacity to bring data into it, uh, to massage data in a, in a cube, or whether you want a live data stream to handle billions and billions and billions of rows of data. And, and when, when we were at IBM, they used to teach us the four Vs of, of uh, data, right? It was velocity and veracity and volume and, you know, all these things, the velocity, I think was, but you know, and that's the problem. Data just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the new platforms have to be able to address something they do. And then it's also, when I'm coming back to the, the point, I think one of the, of the question is, when you look at users, and sometimes we forget that users are early adopters and, and consumers of advanced analytics. 
So Abby, before you go to bed at night, you might turn on Netflix and you want to watch a movie and it says, okay, Abby will recommend Son of Tiger King or whatever is out there these days, right? Nobody asks. You're making a decision at that point. You're not worried about it, cloud or the AI that's behind that or the machine learning that's been driving those recommendations or the predictive algorithms. You don't care. All you know is you're making a decision and you want to be able to, you know, uh, perform an action. And that's what we expect in business world as well, right? So why can't we have that? You know, why do I have to have a degree in AI or SQL or, you know, be a data science when all I want to do is read these charts on the dashboard and I get bar charts and pie charts, you know, these, some of these newer charts, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I don't know what it tells me, but why can't you just push a button and then have the 10 points in English saying, this is what this chart says. And as you start drilling down, it changes, right? So it should be easy to use to increase that data literacy. But then again, at the same time, have that um, ability for data scientists to go in and sort of play around and do their coding stuff. And then the neat thing is going beyond that, infusing it and embedding it within your workflows. So we use Slack and, and people might use Microsoft Teams or even just email. Could you imagine instead of having to go to your dashboard, because nobody starts off the day in a dashboard, but being able to go in Slack and all of a sudden you get a message saying, hey, your, your, your campaign, your marketing campaign isn't producing the results that you wanted. Okay, that's just a message. That's an alert. That, that's not difficult. But what do you want to do? And then you have actions right there. Do you want to pause the campaign, hit a button, API call goes out, cancels the campaign in Google Ads, call a meeting, done, you know, create a deck, done. It goes to your dashboard, pulls everything from your dashboard, puts all the natural language in it. I mean, that's a sort of experience. And that is the next generation. So when we talk about evolutional change, it's like, you know, generation one, generation two, next generation. So that's what the users are, are expecting. It's, we don't want to, we want to get stuff done. We don't care how. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I asked my, you know, if I asked my parents what, what cloud was, they wouldn't know. You know, <laughs> and I, we still have conversations about portal versus porthole. We're going, no, nothing to do with sailing, right? Um, but that's the sort of uh, conversations I think that we're seeing these days. Yeah. And actually, before we go back to my sales question, I just want to stop on that, that if anyone's listening going, whoa, like this sounds really cool for big businesses because you've got to have a lot of money to do this. It sounds a little bit complicated for me. Um, if anyone's a small business listening, what's the journey to what, how do you start this journey as a small business? Because I don't want anyone walking away going, this is just yeah. for big business. Not no, for me. no, no. In, in a lot of our organizations are, you know, ISV startups, organizations who want to monetize data or do an embed, um, you know, and, and the true value of, of an embedded of, of next generation platform is you can embed it as well. Right. So you're creating something. We'll, we'll come back when we talk about monetization of data, which is a subject that pops up everywhere, but, any organization that's so what we've got large multinationals global organizations to small startups it's what's the business you're trying business problem you're trying to solve and then let's work together mm. okay i like that so coming back to before because i don't want to lose this this question you were talking about um you do some coaching for some more junior or new to sales people and you talked about taking them away from sort of the nitty gritty and actually coming back to the customer problem. How do you start to create that change? And I'm really interested in that because I think that we notice it a lot 
with sales teams where people are very used to features, functions, but even in a small business world, you know, as business owners, sometimes we just want to talk about our product or service and what we do. And so how do you start to create that um, step change so that you're having a different sales conversation? And I come from the old school where cadence calls and deal reviews, <laughs> and you know, people hate those terms, but you know, they can be gentle as well. And when we work with new reps, uh, we used to be quite just processing, right? So my background is organizational development. That's where I started off at Cognos. So it's all about performance coaching and also process coaching. And when you get somebody who's new and it's exciting, you know, you get an RFP. Hey, you've got RFP. Somebody's interested in this. And it's like, yeah, you and four other people, right? So, okay, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, and, and you're going to do, was it 10, 10 phone calls to get one meeting and 10 meetings to get one deal. So, you, you know, you got to have a lot of these RFPs. But it's asking why. And, you know, we, I think you can ask why five or six times where somebody gets really, really irritated with you. So you got to find different ways. But, you know, it's like, um, uh, why do they want to buy? Well, they're, 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 they're looking at a new system. Well, why are they looking at a new system? Because they're not getting these results. Well, why not? They're not getting these results. And you start processing them that way. And, and a lot of times it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, you've got to ask the right questions. So go back in there because then you become more relevant. But just why, 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 why? In a gentle way, of course. Otherwise, they're just spinning their wheels and it can get frustrating for them. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So you talked about, you know, in terms of what are we seeing working in sales right now? Because that's what I'm fascinated with. I think there's a step change in what's working. I think COVID is really shaking it up. There's some things that stand the test of time and, and stand true. But I think there's other things that are starting to change. And where we're seeing what we're seeing working as an effective sales strategy today is slightly different. So I'm curious to get your lens on what are you seeing working in sales? There's the fundamentals you've talked to, like being relevant and being the trust advisor and solving problem. But beyond that, what are you seeing working? You know, I always go back to staying relevant. I mean, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see somebody go into a meeting and they're not prepared. They haven't read the annual report. They haven't, you know, really done their, their homework. They're just based off, hey, somebody wants to talk to us and they go in. And then I, I see other sales reps and, and these are reps that have been, you know, very, very successful over their career. You know, they do take the time to prepare. You know, they are up late at night reading reports and seeing what their competitors are doing. You have to be prepared. I mean, that's the first thing. And you have to follow up. I mean, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I tell a lot of uh, sales reps, you, you, you should always be learning because technology changes, but you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. It's not an issue. You know, it, it's not a, a nobody will think any less of you for not having all the answers. They will think less of you if you don't live up to the commitment that you make in the meeting that let me find out and come back to you within 24 hours. That's the big difference. So I think it's being prepared and following up. And I know that's timeless, but it doesn't get done. Even though if you could sit down and talk to somebody, it's just inherently, you know, do you want to be successful? And it's funny, I'm, I'm smiling at you because we talk about, so at Sales Redefined, we talk about so many topics to do with sales and we go in all different places. No matter which size business we talk to, no matter what we go, you know, how far we've gone, um, the number one thing that always comes up is that follow-up isn't being done. And we embed with companies follow-up Friday and it seems to be the mm -hmm. top takeaway. So out of hundreds of things that I talk about, people go, 
yeah, follow-up Friday really should do that. And it seems to be a challenge um, that is just consistent. Yeah, you know, I think there's three things that every sales rep has to put into their calendar. One is um, learning. And we used to have a boss and say, listen, just carve out every Friday morning, 9 to 10. I don't care if you're browsing websites as long as they're related to the industry or, you know, you're, read, you're taking an online course or you're learning the language. Okay, you're new to insurance. Okay, well, here's how insurance people speak. You know, you, you better at least be relevant. An hour for learning minimum. Follow-up should be done right away. You know, build that into your schedule, meeting with X, and then afterwards sit down at a coffee shop or whatever. And then also sales hygiene. I mean, whatever CRM system you're using, I mean, because you'll never get away from that. And that's just good hygiene. Um, let, it, it, internally, you've got to build up your pro, your profile as well. I think that's very important. Those are three key meetings, I'd say, or chunks of time people should uh, put in their calendar and just adhere to them religiously. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. And it's interesting you threw in um, build your profile because I think that one's sort of more come about in the past few years and that people historically had thought, nah, don't need to do that. So what are you what are you seeing there around building profiles? I'm really curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I read a book about 20 years ago and it, it's somewhat relevant except it doesn't have the social media aspect of, of today. And it's called How to Be a Star Work. And there's a guy called Robert Kelly, and he went around and said, hey, GE and IBM and HP and all these guys go to Harvard and MIT, and they hire the smartest guys, and, but they're not all stars at work. You know, you, you, you follow them five years later. It's not always the smartest guys who, are, uh, who become stars. It's the people that build their profile, and, and they do that a couple ways. They network throughout the organization, right? So people know who you are. You know who people are. You can sort of get things done. You're presenting effectively. And then this guy goes through a few things, but um, he, he talked about your, your profile, right? How people see you. And you've got to really think about your brand, not just to your customers, but internally. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the couple of things, are, you know, you, you just basics, you know, following up, we mentioned, but also being trustworthy. I mean, if, if you say you're going to do something, do it, right? I mean, because uh, if you don't do it, after a couple of times, people just, again, push to the side, right? But profile is very, very important these days. And especially with social media, I think people should be leveraging that a lot more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it's, you know, you don't have to put, you know, we don't want you to see your breakfast or your kids on LinkedIn, but it's, a, you know, building your professional profile. And as a sales professional, I think that's so key right now, particularly where we're seeing the change towards digital first. You know, before you go to any meeting, they're going to have checked you out on LinkedIn. I was on your LinkedIn yes. as soon yes. as I heard about you. It's the first thing I did. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And 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 today's buyers are the same way, right? They, they will research your organization before they contact you. And so if you're not doing that, again, it, 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 it says a lot about, about you. So I want to change you on to a slightly different topic, same, same, but different, is around a lot of your time has been in um, sort of very senior channel roles. Um, so building out the channel, building out ecosystems and partnerships. And I really want to talk to you about, you know, some of the growth opportunities there. Like how do you, 
how do you build a really engaged community and ecosystem and how do you build your channel? Because I think that one thing we noticed right now with some of the IT vendors that we work with, you know, everyone wants to make sure they're still relevant to their partners. They've still got that buy-in. Um, how are they getting the part? How do we get the partners to do our education and our enablement? And how do they come with us, not the other vendor? And yeah. so I think there's a really interesting thing there of trying to, um, I keep and hold that intention and engagement. So I'm really curious, given your vast experience in the channel, what you're seeing there as the opportunities. Well, well thanks for the, the shout out for channels. And if anybody's listening, channels is an amazing career to have, right? Um, and it, it, it's and it's difficult, but it's, it's so rewarding. I, I get a lot of people saying, oh, channels, you're the donuts and relationship guy. You go for meetings every week and just, hey, how are you doing with the partners? And, you know, channels has a very significant and strategic impact on any organization, right? And all the large organizations have moved to a partner-first model, and again, a lot of the, the startups have as well. And they just understand that you can scale and you have better subject matter expertise with partners as they grow their business. And it's just, um, it's just the way uh, that you have to adopt. I mean, it's not all or nothing, but, you know, partners have an important role. Now, when I started off, again, there was a perception that channels, okay, what does channels really contribute? But when you look at channels, I mean, there's channels sales, there's channels business development, there's channels management, there's channels operations. When I, and I've done them all, I, I think the largest role I had was in IBM. I, I ran the growth markets um, for data and analytics, you know, 1,400 partners. You're not working with 1,400 partners. You're probably working with the top 10%, right, who drive 90% of your revenue. But it's, it's a fantastic area to get into. And then you're looking at like the alphabet soup of, of, of organizations like VARs and VADs and OEMs and ISVs and ISIs and GSIs and on and on and on. Um, but fundamentally, if you want to engage a partner and you want to be successful, you have to understand that they're a business and you have to have a business conversation around what's in it for them. You know, why them? Why now? Why us? How are you going to make money together? I mean, I, I don't want to get cutthroat and think that, you know, get into just say where we make some money. But that's what businesses do, right? And they're saying, okay, fine. And they've got choice. They have the ability to go out and work with any vendor they want. And I challenge my partners. I said, listen, go out and work with any vendor, but I'll prove to you just through our relationships that, you know, you won't need anybody else. That's my job is to ensure that, you know, we build up a strong strategic relationship. Your business is growing. Our business is growing. And we have a, a mutual relationship that's very, very strategic. And people forget that, Abby. You know, it's uh, we've worked for large organizations where the partners are perceived to work for us, right? So you work for us, so you'll do this and you'll do this and you'll do this, and they don't. So there's a healthy respect. But you start off with a business conversation, and then when you get into you anchor around a real deal, a real opportunity, so they can evaluate you, right? So you've just spent a month talking about how you know we're having this love fest, how things would be great. Well, are you living up to your to everything you've said? Because I'm investing time, money, and resources to build up a practice, whether it's Sysense or any other business. So are you reciprocating? I'm, this is the testing moment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really important to understand their, where they're coming from, how, what their business model is, as well as the fact that constantly reminding everybody that they don't work for us, you know, they work with us, you know, uh, but that's sort of the value. And again, partners, there are a variety of partners and it might be a sell to, sell through, sell with. There's such a variety. You have to be agile, fleet, and just understand uh, that with partners you can really scale but they need support and that's your that's your role
It's funny when I was at IBM, so we've got our common ground there, except we established earlier you were in the cool part of IBM. <laughs> Which I'm coming back to. I'm coming back to that. Um, but the, one of the best things they did with us as grads um, was just when we thought we had it all figured out as grads, because obviously you know everything at that point, um, they threw us out on secondment to the channel. And we had to go work for a channel partner for 12 months and not get paid on revenue or IBM revenue, but suddenly they looked at the margin and you go, oh, mm. hang on, hang on. And you got to see, cause you worked from, they got rid of our IBM badges. You worked from the partner's office. You were one of them. And you suddenly saw that, oh my gosh, these partners don't just wake up and go, I love IBM. They've got all these vendors <laughs> coming up to their office every single day, fighting for their attention, showing them lots of love. And it was probably the slap to the face that us young grads all needed to suddenly understand what you're just talking about, which is they don't work for us. And how do we make it? interesting for them so that it's a healthy business and profitable for them so i think i, I love what you're talking to there well I, you know when i joined um the SciSense, you know, i went out to my you know top 50 60 partners around asia pacific and said this is where i am guys and this is the story and rah rah look at this and they said well, look at our most of them said our business model doesn't allow for us to take on a new partner or a new vendor or you know, we're already entrenched with this other product and, you know, it's going to be difficult. So I've got to spend more time winning them over. But uh, they have a choice. I go back. It's the old love them or lose them. You know, they have a choice. And we should never be restrictive saying, okay, you cannot sell anything except our product. Um, because it's they've got a business they're growing. It's up to us. It's incumbent upon us to make sure that they don't need anybody else. Mm. And do you think that's the key to building the strong relationships in the channel where people just you know there's there's that longevity in the relationship longevity yes but i think it goes back to establishing trust and if you say you're going to do if you do what you say you're going to do and you're providing value to them uh yeah it, it can accelerate that relationship very very quickly um but some of us have been around for a long time and can pick up the phone and talk to various partners and get some advice. But even for new people starting, it's, it's just the passion. I think passion is something that is just contagious. And if you're excited and really passionate and really enjoy what you're doing, partners pick up on that as well. And they, people want to work with people like that. Um, mm. So I, I, partners and in the channel world, again, there's a little bit of that reputation of, oh, they just go out and have meetings. But again, if they're business meetings and they drive growth, when I was with, uh, even with IBM, you know, we, we drove and we had metrics around number of new partners and the value to bring in a number of new clients and number of new deals and net revenue. And we would map it out and at the end of every quarter, we said, this is what we did, ta-da. And when you look at your accomplishments from a dollar and financial perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. I think any channel person listening should be sending out a quarterly report to their bosses saying, here's what we've done, here's dollars and, and cents, and here's the impact that we've had on the business. Yeah, I really like that. And, and you've spoken, actually, it's a bit of a theme coming through for me. You've spoken, you know, around how do you get the ROI? How do you get the dollars and cents? And I think that that's often um, missing from some of the conversations. And it sounds obvious, but, you know, businesses need sales to make a living. We need money coming in the doors and we can't all do it for hugs. Um, so I really like that a lot of the conversations that you're pulling out here are actually how do we come back to, you know, getting a tangible result and outcome. It, it's business, right? It, it, it's um, we've got a business, partners have a business and our joint customers, they have a business and we've got to find the way 
that we can support each other and grow mutually. And it, it's not competitive. It's like the customer, the partner, and the vendor can all grow together in a great relationship. And I've just seen more and more of that now with partner-led strategies and organizations now. And there's a lot of questions asked at the senior level about, you know, what does this mean, partner-led? You know, what does that mean? You know, we, we've never done that. So don't worry. Here's how we're going to grow our business. Here's how we're going to help our customers. Um, and again, it comes back to strategy is really three things, right? Increasing revenue, increasing customer satisfaction, and then also, you know, maintaining or constraining costs or cost constraints. If you can address those by what you're doing in any line of business, I think you're you're well away. Yeah. So I want to I ask everyone who comes on with an IT background the same question around what do you think it takes to play a high performance game in IT sales? Because I think I, I consider IT sales one of the more competitive industries that I've been a part of. And I think there is a certain level of sink or swim. And I think it, it you know, there's some very competitive nature to it. I know we've touched on quite a few things already, but if you had to sort of wrap it up around what do you think the keys are to success in playing a high performance game in sales in IT, what would you say it is? Yep. And I'd say it's in sales and expanded. When we look at high tech and, and IT, number one, you gotta be a troubleshooter, right? Yep. You've gotta be a problem solver. You've gotta think out of the box. Again, customers have issues. Um, you're redefining the problems or help them redefine the problems and establishing that ROI. So a lot of these are, are are unique, right? Every organization is unique and you've got to be able to think out of the box. Um, I see some salespeople go in with just a, an order. Okay, here's, you want four licenses here and two of this and three of this. And it's like, okay, well, what are new ways of getting this done? What are new ways of, uh, of going to market? And I'll give you a quick example. It's like, if you've got a licensing model, which is just users or CPUs, why not look at what the customer wants, right? Are they MSP? Do they want to have back-to-back -to -back terms? You get flexible. So being a troubleshooter is very, very important. I think networking, again, is, is important. Um, I always talk about living in the white space, and I think this has been spoken about before, but you'll see your name in an org chart, in a box, in an org chart. But to be successful in high tech, you've got to be that person who lives in the white space, right? You, you've got to have your ears open, your fingers and everything. You know, you've got to provide that value. And I think the last one we talked about is always be learning. But again, you, it's not a weakness not knowing. It's not a weakness. It's just a weakness not following up. Yeah, I love that. And so you can kind of tell it's coming through when I'm talking to you, like how much you've invested in your own development and your own career. So I'm also curious around, you know, how do you personally, you know, you, you've built an amazing career. How have you personally done that in terms of what are your non-negotiables for success? You know, what has helped you go through that journey and that your own career path? I think the three things is one is trust is a two-way street, right? And I'm too trusting. I, I, and I know that's a, that's a weakness. I go in and if somebody tells me they're going to do something, I just believe it. You know, yeah, I'll be done tomorrow, Friday or tomorrow at the close of business. Oh, great. Fantastic. And I'll sort of go away thinking, oh, I've got this coming in tomorrow. Because <laughs> right. that's the way I am. If, if I tell somebody I'm going to do something, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Yep. Uh, you know, when, when people don't follow up, yeah, I'll give them a second chance, but very rarely a third. I, I mean, you, you can't waste your time and your career working with people that are not going to help you go back to your personal profile do you want to be known as a person that works with people that aren't going to that aren't high performers you know you mentioned the, the cool stuff at, at our last company i worked with some really high performers we went from one team to the next team and we always pulled each other together because 
I knew I could count on them. So it's it's trust. Yeah. Don't live in the past. You know, in sales, you're only as good as your last sale. You know, and I hate to say it sound that way. We've closed big deals before, and everyone's rah rah, away you go. But you know, always look to the future and what you can do and where you want to go, and then map yourself, map your way there, and accept feedback. You know, it's people who close. Uh, I've always thought of myself as open-minded and you know I'll take feedback and we don't always enjoy it I mean it's feedback's feedback right but you go, you learn because it's other people's perspective of you and then you can sort of see okay take it analyze it, and see what what you can how you can come up, become a better person I guess or a better seller hmm. so I guess it's also um that being coachable having the growth mindset that you sort of seem to be embracing to help you play on your a game Yes, you've got to be coachable. I mean, you've got to know when to be a leader. You've got to know when to be a follower. And you've got to know when to be a team player. I really believe that's 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 true of anybody in any organization, right? Different times call for you to play different roles. Sometimes you got to put your ego by by the door and just take a follower role or a team member play role. Sometimes you've got to put your fears by the, by the door and become a leader and take that 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 role as well. But definitely um you have to be coachable because people love giving feedback right people always people love telling you what you should be doing <laughs> yeah feedback can be a good thing and a bad thing depending on uh, how, how that's that's delivered to you <laughs> so well, on that... i remember uh, the uh the, you know the there's a funny story where you know one person came home after work and the partner said you know um, how's your day and the person said oh yeah okay oh, do you want to talk about it i thought we just did Right. And that goes back to the whole, you know, accepting feedback, but also being able to communicate right effectively. Yeah. So we talked there about um, accepting feedback and that makes me curious. What's been the best piece of career advice you've ever had that sort of worked yeah. for you? Fail. And, you know, every <laughs> so it's really fail fast, fail small, fail not often and fail with others. And I did a, a talk at MBA program in Sydney and I walked in and they're all again, just bright eyed and bushy tailed, all young guys and girls. And they're all like, yeah. I said, okay, and how many people think by doing this MBA, you're gonna have a, a successful career and they all put up their hands. And I said, and how many people think you're gonna fail? And nobody did. And I said, well, you're all wrong. You're all gonna fail. You're gonna fail many times because that's what life is all about. You're gonna fail. And my favorite quote is a Japanese quote, you know, Sarumo Kikara Uchiru. Even monkeys fall from trees, right? So, and you got to embrace that. You're going to fail. But, you know, when you fail, and I go back to that story we talked about earlier on, uh, 10 calls to get one meeting, 10 meetings to get one sale. So you got 100 phone calls, right? So 99 times you've been told no. So you, again, that takes a, a different type of person to accept that. But you will make mistakes in your career. But just get over them really, really quickly. Learn from them. Make sure they're not huge and you're not going to sink the entire organization. And make sure you're there, you're there with other people. Don't be a rogue, you know, person out there, you know, just failing now. Now, make sure you're working as a team and, and again, embrace the learning experiences. I think that's the best piece of experience, uh, feedback I've received in my career. And the boss said, yeah, you're going to fail. I'm like, oh, how can you say that? I'm good. Trust me. I'll get this done. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. <laughs> okay, I don't want to hear that every day. But he says, but fail, fail quickly. Now move on to the next one, right? And yeah. uh, that's how you learn. Yep. 
And speaking of learning, you spoke earlier about, um, you know, investing, whether that's one hour a week in your diary learning, um, having that mindset of learning and you referenced one book. Um, best. I'm a book junkie. So this is a dangerous question for me. Best business book that has been most influential for you. Uh, crossing the chasm was, again, I go back to the old ones, crossing the chasm. Again, it's how to take new and innovative approaches. Uh, I think it was Jeffrey Moore. Another one was good to great. And that's all, uh, you know, yeah, you know, and good is good. But if you want to be great, good is the enemy of great, right? Um, and there was getting to yes. That was one that was kicking around for years and years and years. At getting to yes, and again, how can you influence people and how can you sort of get to the, the right um, right answers that you're looking for and influence people? But uh, I those are the three or four books that that I stand by when people ask me. I say, listen, go have a look at them. Some of them have not aged as well, but the concepts are there, right? The concepts yeah. are there. And, and we're still talking about Replace XL, and that's like 30 years later, right? All these sales campaigns, Replace XL, Replace XL, it's still there. Same as these sales strategies. And some, it's, some things are so basic and fundamental to business and our careers that they're going to be there forever. Yep. I like that. I've um, I've not heard of a couple of those. I've written them down and um, I'm the book junkie that will be going and ordering those. Great. <laughs> so I can't let you go without revisiting um, my point before. So you're in the cool part of IBM um, working around <laughs> Watson. Um, definitely one of the cool kids. I've got to ask, what was some of your what were some of your best learnings? Because I think when I look at it and I look at Watson and I look at IBM, I'm like, ah, oh, you're in the fun part and you were doing, you know, you're doing so many fun things. Like, what did that teach you learning in that environment? Just that technology is evolving so quickly. And that I think we're sometimes technology evolves faster than we can consume it. And I talked about that before. I mean, we have the Netflix type of experience ourselves, but when we look at, uh, you know, we went in, we were looking at what Watson was doing in, in healthcare and medicine and, you know, with cancer patients and it was just mind. You, you honestly just stop and you're just riveted on the fact that AI and AI, we, we didn't call it artificial intelligence at, at IBM. We called it augmented intelligence. And it's just that, it will give you a high predictability. Okay, we 99.5% that this is, you know, the answer or 99.3 and work way down. But simply, you know, they had oncologists who would, oncologists, I should say, who um, would get together in the brightest minds in the world and they'd be looking at a cancer patient, but they can't read, I think it was like you know, 5,000 new journal articles that came out on that topic every week. But Watson could. I mean, it's just being able to observe. So that whole AI concept is just absolutely phenomenal. But then when you look at where it is today, and we talk to a lot of leaders around emerging technologies and how they're using it, you don't have to separate it out from what you're doing. Like Netflix, it's built in, or any sort of software now, you know, SciSense, it's built in. So we shouldn't necessarily need to call it out. We just should be leveraging it um, yeah. to get stuff done. I think what I loved was, um, you know, initially when you were talking about Watson and playing chess, you're going, that's awesome. But um, 
A, how are we going to use this in a day-to-day -day capacity that has any meaning that's beyond the fun of you want chess? Um, and so I love that now you are hearing, you know, how it's being used in day-to-day -day in medical context and like you just sort of referenced. And then secondly, I love that now it's become more accessible and affordable. So it's not just something that our oh, big behemoth corporates can access. It's actually that technology has come down, you know, more even into the SMB level. Well, it should just be built in. I mean, it's just a technology is an enabler. Machine learning, AI, natural language query, predictive algorithms, all of this should just be part and parcel. And we, we should sell these. We should sell individual components. You want to buy some predictive today? You, know, you want to buy some natural language query today? This is all built in to every solution. I mean, it, it should be just available to make a decision. I go back to data into information, information into insight, insight into action, action at the point of decision making. So that all that emerging technology should be able to get us to the point of making a decision, right? So that 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 really in, insight insightful, you know, hey, this is the stuff we really need to know before we make a decision. That's what um, emerging technology should be helping us with. And, and it is. I mean, look around, we're big consumers in our daily life. And I think it's here now with these emerging platforms or uh, advanced platforms, uh, you know, in, in the work, in our business lives. So it's really cool. What do you think the sort of, what's the first step? Because I think if anyone's now heard this podcast and gone, okay, cool, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm going to, I'm going to put it into action, but what's the first step on that journey? Cause it can feel overwhelming and daunting. Yeah, so the, I go back to a couple of things. One is you have to have a business problem you're trying to solve, or you have to have an idea. Monetization of data is something that we talk about a lot. Um, you know, you can, people have tons and tons of data and they're saying, okay, fine. We're looking for answers. Uh, I'll, I'll come back. I'm going to go over the tangent. So we're talking about uh, new business models. Um, I was talking to a chancellor at a university and we were having a conversation about, you know, uh, business problems. And she said, my biggest problem I have right now is I don't know where my students are. Like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? She goes, we don't know if our students are overseas or if they're at home. You know, we need to get you know, get in contact with them, see if they're enriched because there's a lot of money with, you know, overseas students coming in. And that was a big business problem for them, right? And they, they couldn't answer that problem with the data that they had. And, and so that's what we sort of sat down and had a conversation. But when you're looking at, let's um, say, one Take a, have an overview of your systems, your legacy systems. Um, see, are you really going to be able to, you know, if you resume your business, survive the next round of, of whatever is in front of us? Are you future-proofing your organization for the next five to 10 years? So take a look at your systems, take a look at your business problems, and and just see what's out there, right? I, I, I'm really, a, sometimes I, I'm a bit surprised when I talk to CDOs and CPOs and CIOs and sea uh, level uh, and they you know they're happy with excel or they're happy with whatever they had because it's been ticking along and they're not aware of the fact that emerging technology is built in and that you can now solve business problems and address business problems you know are going to come up i'll give you a, a quick example uh, and we talked about infusing analytics but you know if you're an organization that has any sort of customer support center and, and you know we've, we've got customers who go in and they have and they get into their Excel spreadsheet and they take a look at which customers didn't receive their deliveries. And then they have to decide what they want to do versus, okay, they've got the reporting, they got the dashboards and analytics. That's all part and parcel of any sort of platform. But now these people are doing other work and they get a, an alert. Hey, you know, Bob down the road didn't get his uh, desk. Okay. This now he's, here's some more information. So it's not information, it's insights. He's a 
strategic customer, high wealth, you know, spends lots of money. Fifth time it's happened, you know, this year. What are you going to do? And have all those actions right there so the person doesn't have to leave what they're doing. They can just address it. They're okay, send them a note, you contact, you know, the shipping department, send them a gift, blah, 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 blah. You know, take those actions right there and then is very, very powerful. And it's not, technology is not expensive, you know, if you can assess the ROI. So I think it's having a business problem that you want to sort of address, looking at your inventory or legacy systems that you have, again, the pressure test that we talked about at the beginning, and then just seeing where you want to go, right? Being aware of what's out there because you can have, you could have a significant competitive advantage if you're aware of what's out there because everybody else is now looking at um, how to make a different, how to be different, you know, that differentiation with the, within a competitive market with, that is getting very, very crowded. Yeah. And I, and I love that because I think so much of this now in sales is about how do I get that competitive advantage? How do I get the first mover advantage? And unfortunately, how do I not be blockbusters in the blockbuster Netflix story? Yes, and get yes. behind? Yeah. And, and, and go back to the CEO saying, okay, well, I've got lots of data. We're data rich. We're okay. We're safe. And this, there are very clever CEOs who say, Mr. CPO, or the CIO, you're now in charge of monetizing that. And to, we talk about monetization of data, you know, there, there's three or four ways. One is you can just collect it and collate it and sell it. You know, Bloomberg's do this, hotels do this, you know, they just get everything, you know, standard data and they sell, sell data sets. Or you can, you know, build out a blueprint or, or, you know, a solution based upon your industry that you've used before and create a, you know, a standalone product. Or then the third way is just to in, in embed this within your platform and offer either a premium or freemium service. Again, just imagine if you're an insurance company, instead of sending out emails to all of your agents, all of your agents can come in to your portal, take a look at their own personal book of business and have dashboards that they can drill down again with all emerging technology and emerging analytics that we talk about and benchmark themselves. It's, it's their own personalized portal. And again, people pay for value. So you can have a freemium version, you can have a premium version. And then again, the fourth level of monetize, uh, monetizing data is really the value story, which is moving upstream. And you know how do you generate revenue or contain costs or increase customer satisfaction? And that's through embedding or infusing analytics within your own work workplace, right? Um, mm. It's a very powerful story. It is. It is indeed. And it's and I like how it's now coming to the forefront of the conversation. I don't think this was talked about a couple of years ago, but I feel like it's now on the table as a conversation. Yeah, I think, that, you know, everything we see is like Gartner and you know, the large GSIs. They're all doing studies saying, hey, uh oh, OK, you know, dashboards are good. That whole uh, visualization of data is fine. But now we're capable through technology of doing so much more. And the early adopters will have that competitive advantage and will future-proof the organization. So if there's a recession or, you know, a quick story, when COVID hit, I was working with a large insurance company and they were doing, they pulled me up and said, listen, you know, we do our cash flow planning, uh, you know, quarterly and now it's monthly and now it's daily. And I said, okay, that's not good. And it's like, yeah, it's an Excel. None of us have been home for weeks, you know. Um, and yet when you know, we had a bit of a respite from COVID, I phoned them up and said, okay, well, how are you doing? Oh, good, good. And and do you want to sort of explore some options? And no, no, we're good. We're good. We survived. I'm like, ah, okay, well, the next time you might not. And that's the, yeah. that's the story, right? 
Yeah. And I think that is ultimately now, you know, you never know what's around the corner. We've all learned that over the past two years. And so I think, you know, you've, you've, you've said it a couple of times. It's now the game is future proofing your business and getting that head start. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. A lot of organizations are saying, okay, dashboards, reporting, analytics, table stakes now. But if I want to go further and what's around the corner, and this is, again, if you're a trusted advisor, you're showing them the state of the possible, the art of the possible. And you're saying, okay, well, here's what you could do in a few years' time. Again, you have to tie it back to strategic goals of the organization. But if you want to increase your, your market share, or if you want to increase your your overall customer numbers or your customer sat or just retention, you know, this is what you potentially could do. So, you know, put this way at the back of your mind. You might not want to do it right now, but guess what? This is all incorporated within what your, your, your platform provides. So, you know, why go off and buy five pieces of software when you, if you make the right investment, again, I go back to, you know, future proof in your organization, you might not need it now, but in two years from now, you just flick a switch and away you go. And it's there. Yep. Rohan, I have absolutely loved talking to you. I, I feel like I could just keep going for ages <laughs> on, about five, on about five different topics. I'm like, oh, God, I want to talk about everything. Um, but I, I'm going to ask you, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or they want to find out more about SciSense? Where can people connect? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is the easiest or, or just rohan.prasad at SciSense.com. Um, either way, yeah. I'm pretty good on LinkedIn and uh, yeah, look forward to anybody wants to know some more, just, just ping me and be more than happy to carry out the conversation. Amazing. I have got so much from that conversation. I have notes of books to buy <laughs> and things that resonated. So um, thank you so much. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Abby. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to receive the inside scoop on what is working right now in our highest performing campaigns, and likewise, what are the pitfalls to avoid directly to your inbox, then simply visit insidescoop.salesredefined.com.au to make sure that you receive our fortnightly newsletter with everything that you need to know to stay ahead of the pack directly to your inbox. And finally, before you leave us, don't forget to subscribe to Redefining Sales podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed it, we would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a comment or perhaps share it with a friend or colleague who you know would enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Bye.